ever seen a haunted house? You know the kind I mean. That old dark house that's usually at the end of a dimly lit street. The owners haven't been seen for years. No one really knows why. The windows are broken and boarded, and the shutters hang loose on their hinges. The trees have grown wild. Their branches brush against the sides of the weathering house, making strange noises in the night. There's a high vine-covered fence around the property. Is it there to keep somebody out? Or is it there to keep something inside? It's a house that people avoid walking past at night. Strange sounds come from within the walls. And it's said that eerie lights have been seen both in the attic windows and in the graveyard at the side of the house. Our story revolves around this mysterious mansion. Hello? Hello? Is anyone here? Hey, it's you. Yes, it's me, J.D. Hansel. You must be the landlord, Anthony, right? Yep, that's me. Come on in. I'll show you the studio. Oh, thank you so much for doing this. It's been a while since I've had a nice, quiet place to record, and with the weather being so stormy lately, I had to find someplace soundproofed. Oh, it's no problem. Say, what's that smell? JD, you smell like flowers and sunshine and happiness and good things. Why, thank you. That's so nice. And what a lovely little studio you have here. Thank you. You know, it was designed for optimal sound conditioning for radio recordings, so you'll notice that this room has no windows and no doors, so no one can hear you scream. It's perfect for podcasting. I'll say. But, Anthony, I just need to make sure you are who you say you are. A little bit of a background check is always good in these situations, since one must always be safe when meeting people from the internet. There are a lot of strange people out there. Oh, I agree. So, let me ask you, what's your middle name, buddy? Um, my middle name is... Buddy? Actually, wait a minute. I've never heard your last name. The only information you gave me was your first name an address for the house, and specific instructions to meet you here precisely at quarter till midnight. You do have a last name, right, fella? Why, yes, of course. My last name is... Fella. So, Anthony Buddy Fella is your name? Yes, always. Well, you seem trustworthy to me, Mr. Fella. It's a pleasure doing business with you. Welcome to Muppet Fans Talking. Join us as Jim Henson fans from around the globe come together with commentary on the news and productions of the Jim Henson Company, Sesame Workshop, Muppet Studio, and beyond. Now, here's your host, or at least he's one of them, J.G. Hansel. Hansel. 
Welcome, foolish mortals, to this episode number 11, I believe it is, of Muppet Fans Talking, a show where Muppet fans talk about what Muppet fans talk about when they talk about Muppets. I am your host, J.D. Hansel, and joining me is... Hello, J.D. I'm your co-host, Steve Swanson. Um, hi, Steve. Uh, how's it going? How are you doing? Thank you. A co-host is someone who was also on the show. Oftentimes, they add commentary to supplement the point being made by the host. And sometimes, they're also funny, like me. Um, you know what? I don't even want to know. So I'm just going to keep on rolling right along, and I'm going to That's remind you all... That's our classic JD. You're so interesting, JD. Okay. I'm I'm going to remind all you listeners uh, that this is a production of MuppetHub.com, where the Muppetational comes together. You can find all of our stuff at MuppetHub.com. You can like us on Facebook at MuppetHub.com slash Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at MuppetHub. And if you feel so inclined, we would love it if you would give us a review in iTunes, because that's the kind of thing that helps other people find out that we're and here. And you do those funny voices. Speaking of funny voices, Steve, what are you doing? <laughs> Sorry, I'm just trying out the uh, the dialogue style from the uh, Christine McConnell show, which I know we're going to get to in a little bit. Hi, everyone. How you doing? Steve Swanson here from the Muppet Cast and MuppetHub.com. And I uh, just want to remind everyone, this episode of Muppet Fans Talking is brought to you by Muppet Box. That's right. Muppet Box, the new monthly subscription box company. Every month, they'll send you a box with nothing in it, but you'll have a lot of fun remembering how much stuff used to be in it. Hmm. Wow, Steve, you're so interesting. Anyway. <laughs> See, it's, it's fun to do that. <laughs> it is fun. It is very fun. It doesn't fun. make for a very good show, but it's fun to do. No, no, it no. doesn't. So, yeah, we, we've decided to talk about the Christine McConnell show because I wanted to do a Halloween show. And we were trying to think of a way to do a Halloween show on a Muppet podcast, which I thought would be easy. And I knew would be difficult because of my years of trying to do a Halloween show on the Muppet cast. There just isn't much material. That's, That's the problem. It's See, I, I don't know. I find that hard to believe because like, well, I know okay, I, okay, okay. I, I want to so, trust. I want to trust your judgment here, Steve, because I know you were doing the Muppet cast years before I was born, or something like yes, that. Yes, that's right. But some of the most beloved episodes of the Muppet Show are the more Halloweeny episodes, like the Vincent Price episode or the oh, Alice Cooper that's a good episode. One. Yeah, oh, I love the Vincent Price episode. Yes, yes, especially the the full version where they didn't cut out that uh, that one song. Yes, but even the even the short that it's a great ep- Halloween episode. Yes, right. yes, I agree. There with you that. go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, there you have it. Then why why is it difficult to do a Halloween episode? Oh, wait, of no, that, that, wait, you only, you've only gotten half of it. So there's uh-huh. also the Alice Cooper episode of The Muppet Show. That was a great spooky episode. There's a lot of fun little gags in there. Uh, you know, Alice Cooper makes a deal with the devil. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's there's some great puppetry effects that happen throughout. That's Miss also, Piggy turns oh, into a thing. Such right, Miss Piggy turns into that thing. So that's that's such a great. So once you get past those two things, though, mm-hmm. you're you're kind of done. That's it. Well, oh, what what about what about the ghosts of Fafner? Fafner, oh, darn it, I don't even know the title. We're not going to talk about the ghosts of Fafner Hall on this show. Yeah, yeah, 
If I don't know the title, it's probably not very important. No, and if I've never not... had any desire to watch a full episode and I haven't, it's probably not very important. So No, no. Yeah. No. But there's that one song in the one episode of season three of The Muppet Show where that girl traps everyone in her house. You know, oh, you're yeah, always yeah. welcome at our... I mean, I, I, that is also out there. So it's it's... It's it's a little bit weird to me yeah. that a franchise like the Muppets that's so known for its weird creatures and monsters doesn't lend itself to a lot of good Halloween material. Well, I know they've tried to do Halloween specials in the past. They have what five different failed Halloween musicals that uh, the Muppets have tried like to that. do. Something um, like that. Yeah, but. We've tried to do some Muppet Halloween specials in the past, I think, or at least I did, and that also didn't pan out. So maybe there is a curse over Muppet Halloween specials. I'm, I'm just saying it doesn't work well. I mean, the Muppets at Christmas, you're good. You're gold. Yep. That's, You've got that's content fantastic. for years on the, yep. the Muppets at Christmas. But Muppets at Halloween, not really so much. Which Almost is, nothing at all. Which is why the Henson Company tried to fix that with this new show that just came out on Netflix about a week or two ago, uh, The Curious Creations of Christine McConnell, which is part puppet show, part cooking show, all very strange and eerie and Halloween-y. And, well, it's weird. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. But for now, I would like to catch up on some things that I've kind of left hanging for a while, some stuff from a few months ago that I haven't gotten around to as we haven't been doing a whole lot of fully produced shows. First, I have this one last review about the Happy Time Murders. I know we're pretty much past talking about that. Oh, gosh, are we still talking about that? We're pretty much past talking about that. We're pretty much past talking about that. I just wanted to make sure that I did take the time to play that one voicemail that we got from our listener, Daryl Dudd, with his little review of it. It's it's pretty short, so this won't take long. Uh, Here's Daryl Dudd. Hi there, gang. This is Daryl Dudd again, calling in to have a serious talk about this movie that came out this past week, The Happy Time Murders. Now, this disgraceful display of puppet violence, puppet profanity, and worst of all, puppet nudity, comes as no surprise in today's world. It was only a matter of time before the all-American art of puppetry was distorted in such a sinful way. But what concerns me the most is that this film was produced by none other than the Jim Henson Company. Now, I ask you, what would Jim Henson's family think if they knew that his name was attached to such a distasteful project? I think all his children would be appalled. I mean, this is an abomination. Who directed this film, anyhow? I'm going to look this up right now. Oh, my biscuits. Not only did the makers of this film have the moral depravity to use the name of Jim Henson to promote it, but the director took the name of Jim Henson's begotten son, Brian, as his own. Now that is shameful. I sincerely hope and pray that the Jim Henson Company will never again try to make a show that's entirely built on the gimmick of puppets being dark. That can never work. I predict right now, at the time of this recording, which is during the theatrical run of the Happy Time Murders and is well before any other Hanson projects have been announced for, say, the month of October, that the Jim Hanson Company will learn from this that murderous swearing puppets are not automatically funny. Surely the Hanson Company can understand that. That's all for this time. Y'all take care now. 
Well, thank you for that, Daryl. And now I think we can move on and get a bit more caught up with the latest in Muppet news. I don't think there's too much Muppet news from the past few weeks that we haven't really talked about. Uh, but I'd say the biggest thing, at least that I've noticed, is actually something that we mentioned briefly in a recent episode of this podcast, but we mentioned it too soon, which is Carol Spinney's retirement. We mentioned, or at least I mentioned in some previous show that Carol Spinney was retiring from Sesame Street because I had heard that on another podcast, but Sesame had not released that publicly. And I was wondering... Well, we were all just kind of waiting for the official announcement on that, right? right? Yeah. Right. Like, I, I just didn't know whether or not there would be one because sometimes Sesame doesn't like to talk about it when some of their most important people leave. Hey, J.D., I have to hit pause real quick. I'll be right mm-hmm. back. Okay, sorry to do this right in the middle of your story, but I'll, I'll be right back. Okay. Sorry about that. No, it's all right. I'm actually going to be right back, too. Okay, good, good. Anthony, can you can you cover this for a little while? Sure, no problem. Absolutely. Go uh, take take your time. Have a bathroom break. Thank you very much. I'll be right back. Well, it looks like everything is going according to plan. In no time at all, I will be running this podcast. And from there, I will take over the Muppet Mindset and then be hired by the Walt Disney Company, work my way up in the ranks, until I have led Disney to complete Walt's original idea for Epcot, Progress City, the city of the future, from which I will take over the world. It's about time. Uh, hey, Anthony, I, uh, I couldn't find the, uh, the bathroom anywhere, but the conservatory is really lovely and has a great view of that creepy graveyard thing you got going on. That's just, I mean... It's a little macabre for my taste, but it's a beautiful piece of work. I love this property. Yes, why, thank you. Well, you're always welcome at our house, and I hope you will stay. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I'll be here for a long while. All right. Steve, are you back? Okay, I am back. So, yeah, as as I was saying before, uh, from toughpigs.com, Carol Spinney, the man behind, or inside, Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch, and Bruno the Trash Man, of course. Why does Tough Pigs always leave out Bruno the Trash Man? I'm going to have to write them some very mean and nasty letters. Um, who has been on Sesame Street since the very first episode in 1969, who taught us all how to read and be good people, is retiring. According to the New York Times, Carol will officially hand over his signature characters to Matt Vogel and Eric Jacobson, who have been keeping Big Bird and Oscar warm since it became too difficult for Carol to keep up with the challenges of performing. Although he will be retiring from performing, Carol uh, plans to remain a part of the Sesame Street family in more of an ambassadorial role, Uh, We hope this means more public appearances, much like his recent convention circuits. The weight of this changing of the guards will not be lost on the world. Carol Spinney has been a fixture in our childhoods for 50 years and over 4,000 episodes of Sesame Street, and he is recognizable for bringing to life... Uh, or for bringing life to what might be the most influential character in children's television history. We thank Carol for five decades of brilliant work, and we hope he enjoys his retirement. (sighs) Yay! Yay, Carol! Congratulations. This is just so weird to me. I know it really, shouldn't be. We knew this day would come, but now it's here. I didn't think it would come. I thought, I, I assumed one of two things would happen: either okay. a, 
it would be revealed that Carol Spinney is an ageless god who will be with us forever, always performing Big Bird, or he would just suddenly die and we wouldn't be ready for that at all. I wasn't expecting there to be this lovely party for him with all the Muppets doing this big tribute and singing to him and all this stuff. I didn't expect he would get to take part in the 50th season, so he's done 50 years of this show, and then get a big hurrah, get all of this love, and uh, get an official page on the Sesame Street website where you can write notes to Carol thanking him and all that stuff. Oh my Mm -hmm. gosh. Like, he's going out into retirement the way that all of us would dream of it. And I am so happy about that. This right. is wonderful. Yeah. This, you know, is, th- this is way better than dying. It is. Yeah, yeah. From what I've heard, dying is not that fun, depending on how you do it. But this sounds like it's really, really nice and special. Um, yeah. yeah. So I approve. I think Sesame's handled this one very, very well. They have. Um, they yep, don't always hand handle it perfectly when they have to, you know, when people leave. But in this case... This one, they did it right. They got this one right, yeah. And yeah, I think they did. that was that, that probably had something to do with the fact that I imagine it was Carol coming to them saying, I need to retire now because of health stuff, and that gave them the time to get all their ducks in a row. It wasn't a situation like, you know, with Steve Whitmire in which they just wanted him out, whether he wanted to be out or not. Um, right. Or Bob McGrath and Luis and uh, I don't and know Orman. enough about that situation. Yeah. I don't understand that one. I just feel yeah. like Sesame wasn't smart in the way that. But they, they knew they got this handled. one right, though. Regardless, yes, they did this one. Good job, Sesame. Yes, and good job, and, Carol. Really, I mean, and, while we're at and it, good job, Carol. Um, congratulations, Carol. Yes, uh, it's so good to know that Carol's going to be continuing to do convention appearances and things like that. Um, uh, now we're going to enjoy more of this Eric Jacobson Oscar, which I think is really great. I think that when mm-hmm. Oscar yes. was just Carol's character with the occasional performances by Eric, uh, that limited the amount of Oscar that we could see. But now I think we're going to be able to see a lot more Oscar. And let's face it, Eric's Oscar is really, really good. Yes, it is. And it's very possible to see more of Oscar and Bird because those two characters are fun together. So Getting, possibly getting to see them interact. Looking forward to that. I mean, I'm not uh, going to be watching Sesame Street, but it's going to be great for the people who are watching Sesame Street. Right, yes. right. Yes. Classic Sesame Street is so filled with great interactions between Big Bird and Oscar, and we haven't gotten a lot of that lately. Oh, but yeah. Now... I mean, modern Sesame Street is just dead beyond dead. But if you're watching it, it's going to be really good. <laughs> Steve, good Lord, you're going to get me in trouble. You're going to get me in trouble, Steve. <laughs> You you realize that that's the kind of talk that got John Stone fired, right? No, this is this is why it's not my show anymore. Yes. Yeah. Ah, okay. So you're gonna let me take the heat right. while you just say whatever you right. want and trash. Hey, you want to talk State. about Henson Land some more? No, no, no. That's all right. <laughs> but speaking of the Jim Henson Company, mm. guess what? Classic Jim Henson Company special is now getting its soundtrack released. Officially, for the first time. Uh, If I'm going to guess, I'm going to say The Dark Crystal. Because everything in the Jim Henson Company has to do with The Dark Crystal now. No, we relate everything in the Jim Henson Company back to The Dark Crystal. Because we like um, to crack jokes at The Dark Crystal's Okay, okay, wait, hold on, hold on. Um, Mm -hmm. Then it's going to be Labyrinth. Because if it's not The Dark Crystal, it's Labyrinth. I said special. 
I said TV special. Oh, oh, you said TV special. Okay, hold on, hold on. Um, the Dark Crystal Christmas special. That doesn't exist, but now it needs to. Well, I and so desperately yeah, want will. to see a Dark Crystal it, Christmas special. Give it time. It will. How does that Anyways, even what, what are we work? talking about like, here? Do they even celebrate Christmas on Thra, or would it be like Life Day or something? It would be like Life Day. It's totally going to be Life Actually, it's going to be Crystal Day. Oh, that's so stupid. Yeah. But yeah, hey, music and lyrics by Paul Williams, so Ooh, it's gonna I can't be great, complain. Yeah. Those <laughs> folky singing skexies. <laughs> Down-home mystics. So let's, let's cut to the chase. Okay, so uh, what's actually uh, happening here? So from toughpigs.com, the recent announcement that the Emma Daughters Jug Band Christmas soundtrack will soon have an official release was great news to fans of classic Muppets and music. Here's more great news for those people. It will also be released on vinyl. As part of the annual Record Day event on November 23rd, you can buy the album in LP form at participating record stores. The release will be limited to a quantity of 1,800, so you might want to wake up early to get to your local store and buy the record. And as we all know, it's much more acceptable to have a hole in a vinyl record than a hole in your wash tub. So yeah, we, we found out a few weeks ago, I think it started as a rumor and then it got confirmed, the Henson Company is finally releasing the Emmett Otter soundtrack on CD with a release date of November 2nd, and it's going to have actually a lot of tracks on it. I'm glad, because I think this means we might get some of that instrumental score stuff that I really like. Oh, we can only hope. I've been dying to have access to that for Yeah. Like, that's one of those things where as a podcaster, you would just, as a Muppet podcaster at least, you would just kill to have the instrumentals from that special and it's always really been would. so annoying that they're not there yep Ugh, no, we, we can most... only hope but that's going to be a great collection that'll be a lot of fun it's going to be a really good addition to all of our yeah. muppet christmas playlists and soundtracks um mm-hmm. or or just your usual christmas playlists and soundtracks if you are one of those people who just randomly throws muppet stuff into everything you listen to well since we're talking about looking back at Henson history and bringing some of that classic Henson material back, I think it only makes sense for us to point out that we got some very interesting news that I was not expecting about a new book coming from Craig Shemin. So from the Muppet Mindset, fun fact, I once caused a fuss during a trivia night when I took issue with the question, what was Jim Henson's first television show, as the answer was given as Sesame Street. No, I said. Then I went on to explain... This is Jared Fairclough writing, obviously. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, Then I went on to explain to the night's host that Jim had made a series called Salmon Friends, which aired in Washington, D.C., beginning 1955. I even got Muppet Wiki up. Fun fact, I was not invited back the next year. But next, I would imagine so, yeah. Yeah, this sounds so much like Jared. I wish he was here. Um, rest in peace, Jared. But next time, I won't need Muppet <laughs> Wiki. No, he's alive. I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm just psych. Oh. I'm trying to psych everyone out with a few spooky, macabre things. Oh, Since it's our I Halloween see. show, I want to kind of keep people mm-hmm. on their toes and keep people scared. Oh, this reminds me. Um, just, just you and your corny macabre jokes. You know, just just a random thought, Steve. That just you're gonna let that one slide. Mm-hmm. Okay. So just a random thought, Steve. That yeah. that just that just came to mind. That isn't at all related to what I was just saying about me trying to scare people. Right. I just wanted to give you a heads up about the new series that you and I are going to be starting. 
Oh, oh, are we now? A new podcast series, yep. Oh, it's boy. Ba- you know that, that uh, Tough Pigs show they're doing, the podcast Moving Right Along, where they go through I the do. Muppet movie two minutes at a time? I well, do. we, next week, you and I, Steve, we're going to start Gelfling Right Along, in which we review the Dark Crystal one minute at a time. Oh, no. Oh, God. Woo. Don't scare me like that. Yeah, see? See? All I got gotcha. right, you got me. I got gotcha. you. Got I'm me. the scare master. It's a pretty anyway. good Halloween show so far. This is good. Yeah, really yeah. spooky stuff. Yeah. Boy, nothing could be scarier than that. So where was I? I believe I was talking about how, yes, yeah, so Sam and Friends is getting a new book. That's 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 the point. I'm just going to skip over some of this other stuff that Jared wrote because he's kind of beaten around the bush. But basically, yeah, yeah. Craig Shemin's going to be writing a book about Sam and Friends, um, which makes sense because he's, you know, president of the Jim Henson legacy, and he already wrote that book on the Muppets character encyclopedia thing. So... He's the kind of expert that I would want writing a book on Sam and Friends. I didn't know that there was enough material out there about Sam and Friends to get a book, but I'm hoping for a lot of good pictures and a lot of good history stuff and maybe some stuff that I could uh, add to my list of, you know, sites to see and places to go when I'm going around Maryland finding Jim Henson stuff. Sure, sure. Well, yeah, this will I, be this is his first book in a while, as I recall. He wrote that Muppet Encyclopedia back in the uh, in the 80s, I think, right? Yes, in the 80s. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so it's going to be nice. Uh, getting some new material there. Did I tell you, Steve? I, I think you saw some of the pictures, but a few weeks ago when it was Jim Henson's birthday, I said, darn it, I'm going to celebrate Jim Henson's birthday the right way. And I went to a bunch of different Muppety Jim Henson-y locations in Maryland and saw two of the houses where Jim Henson used to live when he was young. At the time when he was working on Sam and Friends and creating Kermit the Frog, I saw the Jim Henson statue at the University of Maryland, of course, and uh, a an interesting sort of totem pole-like wood carving of Kermit the Frog that's in a park uh, right near those houses where Jim Henson used to live. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, were you were you the uh, the only person there at each of those locations? Yep. Just me. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, no, no I, I, met a, I met a couple of other people at the Henson statue. Oh, oh, that's good. Meeting people is good, A few of us, a few good, of us got together to take a picture, you know, together for Henson Day. At the Ooh, statue. that's nice. Okay. But I did most of the other touring around around the area by myself, yeah. Well, okay. Because, you know, podcasting is a solitary art form. You know, it is. I've heard you say that many times, so. Steve, I picked that up from you. You're the one who always said on the Muppetcast <laughs> that podcasting is a solitary art form. You always All said right. that. All right, all right, you fact, got me. In fact, maybe, maybe the reason why you didn't like doing those Muppet Halloween shows is because you always did it alone. I think that's the problem. Like, it's always been my dream as a podcaster to do interviews in every show. Like, someday, I want to interview Tamanella Grinderfall for my Halloween episode, oh, because she's, oh, like my, she's like my favorite Muppet. So that, for me, is like the pinnacle of, of Muppet Halloween podcasting. So that's my plan. Why didn't you ever do something like that, huh? Wait, you didn't hear that episode? J- what episode? Sorry to do this to you, JD, but uh, you know I've, I've interviewed a lot of people uh, in and around the Muppet world, and, and I actually did do an interview. Uh, I really hate to. I, I did interview Tamanella Grindafall for a Halloween episode. I can't believe you didn't hear that show. You JD. interviewed my favorite. I Muppet interviewed Tamanella. Without... Gr- of course, I did. Yes. First, you I interviewed you Frank Oz. That. First, you interview Frank Oz and don't invite me to do it with you. Then you also interviewed Tamanella and didn't invite me. Well, you were like six when I talked to Frank Oz. How That's was that going to work? And That's fair. 
And I just didn't want to tell you when I was interviewing Tamara. I can't believe you didn't hear that episode. Maybe that's why we're still such good friends, is because you didn't know that I interviewed Tamanella Grindelwald in the Muppetcast. Yes, of course I did. Do you you have a clip? I did. Here, I'll send it to you. Here, let's play it right here. All right, here it goes. The Muppetcast's interview with Tamanella Grindelwald. My next guest is Tamanella Grinderfall, the witchiest witch of them all. From the Muppet Wiki, she was the star of Tales of the Tinker D, the unaired pilot created by Jim Henson and Jerry Jewell in 1962. Tamanella was excluded by King Goshposh and his circle from the royal birthday party, so she stole Princess Gwendolina's birthday presents through cunning multiple disguises and an insistence on obeying the rules of etiquette while planning to rob the king blind. She's been in a lot more stuff too, and I'm really happy to have her here. Tamanella, welcome to the Muppet Cast. Yes, thank you very much, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here. So I have so many questions for you, uh, Tamanella. First of all, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about Tales of the Tinker D. Can you tell me about how you were cast for that role? Well, you know, it's a funny story. Jerry Jewell and I, for a very long time, were lovers. Not a lot of people know about that. Because he kept it a secret. And I kept it a secret. I didn't want him to know that I was also seeing, well... I would tell you about the other guy I was seeing, but he's... He's really too repulsive to describe to you. He would make you vomit if I just started describing... Really, if I used any adjectives whatsoever to describe him. You would vomit and then explode. So, I'm being kind here and just saying... It was it was best for all of us that we just kept it a secret. But yes, we, we were lovers. We had a very intimate oh relationship. Wow. This went on for many decades. Many decades? Well, this is why he and I stopped performing around the same time. And just oh. went on. He, he went to writing. Um, I retired from wickedness, or at least of a, a wickedness of a particular kind, very early on. And moved on to just general cruelty. Now, which one would you say is a more difficult endeavor in life? Wickedness or cruelty? Well... They all have their ups and downs. They they each have their challenges, their upsides, their downsides. Um, I find that I, I enjoy a good mix of both, but lately I've been focused on the kind of cruelty that just makes people cry, because there you can tell that you're doing something. You can really easily see the effect that you're having on people, and I think that's beautiful. Hmm, very nice. Well, it, it, it is nice to enjoy those beautiful moments in life, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes. So, what I've been doing for the past few years, since I retired from, well, usual witchcraft, since heh, that field's gone to crap ever since Harry Potter got so big, what I've been focused on is, you're, are you familiar with the ghost of Christmas past? Yes, of course. Well, I've taken up a job as the ghost of Christmas specials past. Now, <laughs> oh, really? let me explain what that entails. So, you know how last year and the year before that, you got the bright idea to go and watch one of those Christmas specials that you liked as a kid, even though you kind of knew it probably wouldn't be as good as you remembered it? Oh, sure. Yeah, I do that every year. That idea was mine. I <gasps> came and planted that in your head just to make you miserable every Christmas. Wow, that was your, that's, that's some good work right there. Thank you very much. I've been at it for a very long time. Uh, People go into It's a Wonderful Life like such gullible suckers every year. 
always come out disappointed. Usually yelling and throwing things at the TV. I'm definitely one. Wow. It's it's an amazing and beautiful thing. I'm I'm very proud of my work. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I miss my time with the Muppets. Um, but I'm glad that I'll be remembered for some other things, for some other contributions uh, to, to the world misery. Right, it's almost like if someone was moving on from puppeteering into directing, you know, and they might be, they might want to be known more for directing instead of puppeteering, even though we're always really going to know them for puppeteering, right? Yeah, yeah. You, there are some things in life, Steve, that you just can't really escape. You know, no, I, I guess your legacy not. is going to be what your legacy is going to be. Mine is filled with, with horrible suffering, so no one will ever know about my skills as a baker. Although, I as have been... As a baker? Yes. Yes, I am quite a cook, and I have been considering for a long time producing a television show that focuses on cooking and monsters. It's like a house of monsters, really? but it's also a baking show. Now, that, you might... That might you be might, a great idea. Well, you might be wondering... Would that be a great show? Could it work? Or would it just make people unhappy? But of course, it's my idea. So the whole thing is geared towards making everyone who watches it really unhappy. It's going to be a completely dissatisfying program, but I think Uh I can sell it. I think I can get somebody to pick it up. If it just gets to the point over the... See, what year is it now? 2009? Something... I can't keep track. Yeah, it's 2009, yeah. yeah. If it gets to the point in the next few years that... Some studio gets a bit more open to some creative ideas in television that I think this one's going to knock them dead. I mean, maybe, but even if they go to something as crazy as like online streaming TV production, I mean, they're not just going to greenlight every old show out there. I mean, they've got to really kind of narrow in their standards. But, but I think if you really focus on a good script and good production values, you know, good writing, good acting. I think maybe you could uh, you could make something really that would would be really great. Well, that's the dream. That's the dream. Okay. Well, good luck on your dream, Aunt Tamanella. You've you've had an amazing career. I'm glad we got to learn more about it. And uh, is is there anything else that you'd like to to leave us with? Well, I just wanted you and your listeners to know, Steve, that I am so fond of your work as a podcaster. It is so professional that I'm never going to do an interview on anybody else's show ever again. Wow! This is not going to happen. This is the only Muppet podcast, or podcast of any kind, for anyone, on which I'll ever do an interview like this. So, there you go. You're welcome. Well, thank you very much, Tamanella. Absolutely. It was a pleasure to be here. And be sure to visit my website at www.tamanellagrinderfallwitchieswitchofthemallbakethehallinthecandleofabrain.com, spelled just the way it sounds. Wow, Steve, that was um, incredibly disheartening. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to break it to you like that, um, but but there you go, man. I'll never um, get to meet my favorite character. Well, you know, they say don't meet your heroes, so maybe True. I'm I'm kind of doing you a favor by doing this, <sighs> or I did you a favor unknowingly. I wouldn't have done you a favor if I'd known it was doing. But regardless, I. I I'm going to do the listeners a favor right now and shut you up by going to a commercial break. We'll be right back after this.
Hello, I'm Thomas. Hello, I'm Ethan. And we're Thomas and Ethan of Thomas and Ethan's Commercials for Things. If you need a commercial for your business starring Thomas and Ethan, we can produce that commercial. That's our business. We've produced lots of great commercials. Don't believe us? Here's an example. Hello, I'm Thomas. Hello, I'm Ethan. And we're Thomas and Ethan of Thomas and Ethan's Commercials for Things. If you need a commercial for your business starring Thomas and Ethan, we can produce that commercial. That's our business. We've produced lots of great commercials. Don't believe us? Here's an example. Hello, I'm Thomas. Hello, I'm Ethan. And we're Thomas and Ethan of Thomas and Ethan's Commercials for Things. If you need a commercial for your business starring Thomas and Ethan, we can produce that commercial. That's our business. Wait a minute, Thomas, aren't we caught in a loop? What do you mean by a loop? You know, like a cycle. What do you mean by a cycle? You know, like a loop. What do you mean by a loop? You know, like a cycle. What do you mean by a cycle? You know, like... Greetings from the management of MuppetHub.com. This is a public service announcement to inform you that you must never, ever hire Thomas and Ethan to produce your commercial. The file they sent us for this one you just heard went on for five hours. I hate my life. And now, back to the show. Now, Steve, I don't want you to stereotype me as a millennial or as a college kid or all that stuff that you always do. But, to be perfectly honest with you, the one thing that should be scaring us this Halloween is neoliberalism. It's clear that the future of capitalism looks very bad. What? We're back. We're back. We're back. Oh, we're gonna, hi, everyone. And we're going to talk about the curious creations of Christine McConnell now. It's time. Are you ready for this? <sighs> ready as I'll ever be. I'm going to set you up for this now, okay? I'm gonna okay. T- I'm gonna walk All right. Th- okay. Ready? All right. So, hey, JD. Yeah, Steve? So, I'd like to get your gut reaction to a few ideas here, first of all. Okay. okay now, just just go with me on this. Now, All right. I'm going to say, I'm gonna say several statements, mm-hmm. and I'd like you to respond with a number between 1 and 10. Okay. 10 being, I want that so much that I can't stand it, and I'm actually a little annoyed that I don't have it right now. Mm-hmm. And one being, I don't want that idea so much that I actually want the opposite of that. Okay. You follow me? Yes, I do. Okay. Okay. Where you lead, first, I will follow. First statement. JD, you just won the billion-dollar Mega Millions lottery. And a free house where you don't have to see anybody that you don't ever want to see again. And a new car and, and a pony. What do you think about that? I, if, if not for the pony, I'd give it a 10. So I'm going to give it a nine. Oh, okay. All right. We'll take the pony out. Oh, 10, for, 10. Forget the pony. Okay, good, 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 good. All right. So we've established what 10 is. Yes. Sorry. Okay. I have a fear of horses. I should have specified. That's but, okay. Yeah. That's okay. All right. You ready for the second one now? Yes. All right. JD, giant. They all start with JD, by okay. the way. So, okay. Here we go. Thanks for the heads up. JD, yes. giant packs of wild beavers have invaded the streets and are attacking random passers-by regardless of age, race, or sexual preference. That does sound fun to watch, but it also sounds dangerous, and I don't really want it to happen to me, so I'm going to establish that as like a two. Oh, okay. All right. So, winning the lottery, ten. Uh-huh. Wild beavers, two. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Are you ready for the last one? Yes. Yeah. Okay. JD! There's a brand new production out today from Henson Alternative. Hmm. That we've established winning the lottery is 10. Giant packs of wild beavers at a two. Where does Henson Alternative come out on that scale? On the one hand... (laughs) On the one hand... Because it's something new from the Henson Company, I'm interested in seeing it, and I'm glad I'll have more podcast material. 
On the other hand, because it's hence an alternative, that's terrifying. So, <laughs> um, I, I'm going to, st- st- you know, I, I think that's approximately the same reasoning I used for, for the beaver attack, that it would be interesting to watch, but I am afraid of being, you know, involved in it or affected by it in any way. So I'm going to give this that same number. I'm going to give that a two. <laughs> I think that's about a two. Wow. Henson, new production from Henson Alternative is about the same attraction as giant packs of wild beavers. I get it. I get it. I do. That's like okay. It's intriguing. I was just curious. I'm curious about how it's going to turn out. <laughs> but it, that you know goes it's for not going to turn out well. Things. Yeah. I know it's probably not going to, but it's yeah. still interesting to to see what happens. And it's one of those things, or two of those things, since I'm talking about both the beavers and Henson Alternative right now, where you're constantly wondering how in the world this happened. How did we get here? What circumstances could have possibly led us to this point? That was the question I had watching Happy Time Murders, and that was the question I had watching Curious Creation of of Christine McConnell. How in the world did we get to the point where this is in front of my eyeballs? Okay, I can help you with that. Okay. I can. Please do. All right. Now, let's just say, right, for for the record, if... If you, dear listener, have not watched The Curious Creations of Christine McConnell yet, you may want to pause this and go watch the first episode. Yeah, Maybe like the, the second. If you, There's only six. So you could say it's, it's good or bad, however you want to look at that. But just watch the first show, show and a half, and come back. All right? Yeah. Okay. Now, J.D., you and I were texting each other last night as we were both watching this in our respective locales in the nation. Mm-hmm. And we were both a little disheartened. Mm-hmm. We were both a little confused. I think I even said at one point, I now have a much better idea of what Farscape even is compared to this. <laughs> yes. All right. So we don't really know what this is. Uh, but why did I say those things? I said those things because I expected the curious creations of Christine McConnell to actually be a good show. Like, uh-huh. I was expecting it to have a storyline and, you know, some good writing and direction and good acting and good characters and everything. I knew that Henson was involved somehow in the production of the show, so I expected it to be good. I guess maybe because after all these years, I just haven't learned yet. But anyway, when I pushed the button to start episode one of The Curious Creations of Christine McConnell, I expected this show to be good. And while I was immediately confused and disappointed... And I remain that way for a while until hmm. oh, until I actually figured it out. Oh, I s- figured out. Th- I figured out the secret behind this show. Ooh, you solved the mystery. All right, are you Lay ready on, for this? Man. Yeah. The, the the thing is, mm-hmm. it's not even a show, JD. That's the secret. What? If you expect. The Curious Creations of Christine McConnell to be a show uh-huh. with characters and a uh-huh. story and entertainment uh-huh. value, uh-huh. then it falls flat on its face. Uh-huh. But, oh. stay with me now, mm-hmm. it's not really a show, JD. It's just a thing. It's just a thing that's online. <gasps> a thing that's online. Yes. Yes. And things, things can be, well, well anything. anything. Yes, that explains... It, it so many things. All right. It could be people showing up at your door and walking through your house for no reason. Right. A thing can be words that you say to someone 
for no contextual purpose. Just cuz! A thing can be pretty but terrible on camera. A thing can be a puppet with a completely wrong voice for the way it works. Things can be just things like an idea. It can be a rock. It can be a theme park. Things can be, well, anything. Think about it. Things can be internet memes and cutaway scenes and Instagram models who tease. They can be random assortments of cookies and shortments or a spider web blowing in the breeze. JD, we had this all wrong from the very beginning. Whatever we expected, we expected more than just a random thing to watch on the internet. And that's all the curious creations of Christine McConnell is. It's just a thing, man. You can't assign it a role. You can't give it shape or purpose. That's just, that's just you laying down your expectations on it, man. You got to let this thing be free. You got to let it fly. If you look at this show, not as a show, but just as a thing that's on Netflix, it's instantly understandable. This show isn't trying in the least bit to be a show. It's just trying to be. And that is how the curious creations of Christine McConnell make sense. And there's puppets in it, too. So now that you know the curious creations of Christine McConnell isn't a show, it's just a thing online, another thing that's out there. Does that help it make sense, J.D.? A little bit, but it does raise one key question. What's that? Given the fact that there are a great many things on the Internet, why should I watch this thing on the Internet instead of any of the other things on the internet? Well, that's a good question, and I guess my only answer is Hansen is involved, and so we have to watch it. Right. Actually, it's interesting because I got a different answer from my younger sister. I asked oh. her to go ahead and watch it because I don't watch a lot of shows about cooking and baking and stuff. She does. So I figure, let's see what the little sister has to say. Um, and, of course, her first reaction to it was, this was weird. Um, but then she kept watching. She actually watched a few episodes and I asked her why she kept watching, why she was on episode five. And she said, well, I'm kind of out of other stuff to watch on Netflix. <laughs> and uh, that, that was the first ans answer she gave. When I really pressed her about why she continued to watch, she said, um, she wanted to see if it would get better. And I said, did it? And she said, eh. Yeah, that's that's about my answer to that, too, is, eh. I mean, yeah, her, so her, Christine her McConnell is, a, go ahead. Her review in a nutshell was, um, this doesn't work. That's probably the, the simplest yeah. thing she said that explains it. But I understand why they thought it could work. And I feel like maybe there's some way to make it work, but it would be difficult because it's trying to combine two very different genres, right? Like this is one of those boogie night situations in which someone actually wants you to stay for a story after the part that you came for. It's a cooking show. Why would I stay after I've gotten the recipe that I want to make for a story? I well, don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so what happens as you're watching the show, or at least what was happening to me is when I got interested in the story, I would get really annoyed when we suddenly had to change gears and watch all this cooking stuff. But then I'd get kind of interested in the cooking um, and the way she was creating this stuff and how cool it was and impressive it was, because I haven't seen this kind of baking before, really. And then I felt like they were just kind of speeding their way through that and then getting right back to a crappy narrative with characters that aren't funny. A really um, crappy narrative with characters that really aren't funny. Yeah, puppet. Here's something that we learned 
from this show is that definitively now mm-hmm. puppets don't make everything better. Yeah. If you I, don't have good source to begin with, puppets are just they're, they're just going to kind of fudge up the works a little bit more. The puppets make it difficult I, to understand what tone the show is going for. Yeah, and that's, that's a big problem. That's exactly it. Yes. A, a yes. huge problem with this program is that it can't quite decide on the tone it's going to use to keep this show together because look, if you're going to combine two very different genres into one thing on the internet into one thing that's on Netflix, then you have to do that carefully and have something that's bringing a sense of unity to all of it. And I don't think a vague Halloween theme is enough to keep that sense of unity. You also need to set a certain tone that's fairly consistent and a style that's fairly consistent. And, and I think the, the the big defense that people are going to come up with who, who enjoy the show, and, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm glad you do if you do, but a lot of people would say, well, it's quirky. It's supposed to be quirky. And I, my argument would be quirky is harder. It's easy to put out a crappy sitcom. There are millions of those. But quirky done well is very, very difficult. And if you don't, like you said, uh, you, you don't have your tone established, then then you're just, you're kind of all over the place. This right. is a show that looked really good on paper, I bet. Yeah. Uh, but, and, and Christine McConnell, I don't know how much you know about her. I, I did a little bit of reading this morning before we recorded. She's an Instagram uh, personality. Okay. Um, and I, I would assume that she's based out here in LA. Um, but, She's got a very well manicured, very curated Instagram feed, and she's gotten some opportunities to meet people like Tim Burton and some of the industry kind of people that would fit in with her sort of quirky style of, mm-hmm. you know, quasi horror Halloween baking kind of stuff. Right. Um, but not a TV personality. And in her interviews talking about the show, she actually said, and I couldn't believe this, she said, you know, once she uh, was. Once she got the show, the, at least the pilot put together with Brian Henson, and she was shopping it around, she thought, oh my gosh, I really hope I get Netflix. Of course you're going to get Netflix. They give everybody a show. <laughs> That's like the layup. Gee, I hope I get... JD, I've got a show on Netflix. Would you believe that? There's a 75% <laughs> chance of that being true right now. <laughs> That's a fair point. Like, it's, it's frustrating because... Gee, I hope I get Netflix. Gee, I hope my show makes it up on YouTube. It's about the same amount of effort. <laughs> okay, it's it's... It's frustrating because right now, a big part of what makes television not terrible right now, which, you know, to me is kind of refreshing because I grew up in a time period when television was by and large terrible. Um, What makes it work is that there are these companies like Netflix and Amazon Prime that aren't getting in the way of creators creating good things. Like when you look at a lot of shows that have been made by talented people, but failed in the past, you know, like I I think there's an episode of uh, comedians in cars getting coffee in which John Mulaney talks about his failed sitcom and how the problem there was just too many suits in the room, too many people who were not comedy writers coming in and telling the comedy writers what to do. And that's, as I've looked into, you know, TV writing, looking at different television writers I like, I do see there's this common theme of the shows they've worked on that have sucked. They have complained that as soon as they were done writing, a conga line of 40 executives come into the room delivering their studio notes saying, this is what you need to do instead of being funny. 
and then you get a show that's not very enjoyable. Um, so creative freedom is a big draw to Amazon and Netflix uh, for good creators who have cool ideas. And I like that. I think that this new creativity and this openness to trying new things is a very, very good thing that is making television watchable right now. I actually Completely like agree. watching TV yes. now. However, there comes a time when certain creators need to be told when they don't know how to get a consistent tone or theme together. And Brian Henson, unfortunately, has become one of those creators. When you look at the Happy Time Murders, you can tell Brian Henson didn't really know how to get all the elements working together for that to get something that feels coherent. He has a movie there that feels like it's all over the place, doesn't really know what it wants to be. Not a terrible movie, but it doesn't really know what it's supposed to be or what right. it's going for. Yeah. Um, and you get something very, very similar here. I don't know the extent of Brian Henson's involvement in this. Um, I didn't pay too much attention to the credits, but... He's I know, executive producer. Right. But executive producer... Thatcher. But executive producer can mean anything. Well, that's true. Executive that's true. I, producer I think... is, is the... Th is what they slap on to thank you for giving them money or sometimes executive producer yeah, is, yeah. is put on that title is given to authors of books. Um, if, if the movie is based on a book that they wrote, they just give them executive producer credit. It's one of those names that can really just mean anything. If you did anything that helped make the show possible, even if you never showed up on set or reviewed a script, you might be able to get an executive producer yeah, credit if right. you're rich enough. That's basically how it goes down very often. Sometimes yes. executive producer means something significant, um, but sometimes not so much. So it's difficult for me to gauge Brian's involvement here. But the Henson Company has a track record for doing a lot of projects that are interesting and creative, but can't quite bring all their elements together in a way that works, in a way that functions. Especially you, lately, yeah. Especially lately. And what you see in this show is an interesting idea to to find something that's going to work for very creative people. Because there are creative people out there who are really into the quirky and macabre and Halloween-y and stuff. Like most creative people, I think it's safe to say, really dig Halloween and that kind of thing. They like playing with dark themes and the, you know, weird Tim Burton-y stuff. Um, shows like A Series of Unfortunate Events really appeal to a lot of creative people who like your arts and crafts and your baking and your decorating and all that stuff. So I feel like you've got a good target audience there to reach with a show that puts together the creative baking and crafting with this kind of dark haunted funhouse theme. I feel like there should be a way to make those work together, but you're going to have to find a good consistent tone that works. You're going to have to decide what kind of a cooking show is it? Is it that TV kind of cooking show where it's very Rachel Ray? Um, except dark and macabre. Uh, is it going to be more like a YouTube sh uh, cooking show where you feel like there's this uh, very personal relationship between you and the YouTuber? But And there's normally a sense that it's a bit more low-key, low-budget, um, a sense that it's, it's all more off-the-cuff and more real and sincere and genuine? Or is it going to be more like one of those um, bake-off shows where it's a cooking competition? which is very much in right now. In the competition shows, the goal isn't really for you to learn, and I'm 
I'm just repeating what my little sister told me here. The goal isn't really so much for you to learn how to make the same kinds of things that they're making. You're not trying to follow the recipe to be able to replicate what they do. You just like the drama of seeing, will they be able to bake something that looks really cool and right, tastes yeah. good in the amount of time that they have. Very different from a show that's actually trying to show you, here's how you do this. And if you want to do that kind of show, you got to make sure that you're getting all the right camera angles, you're taking your time, and everything is being explained in great detail so that even if you're a little bit new to baking, you can still figure out how to bake this thing. Um, and so this show doesn't quite work as a cooking show because, well, a lot of times they kind of gloss over a lot of the stuff about how it's made. And well, so, it's like they just decide all of a sudden in this scene, and now it's a cooking show. Like, it's yes. funny, like the, the little cat character. There, there's, there's a couple things that, that I did enjoy about it. And one of the things is any time that Christine McConnell kind of goes into baking show mode mm-hmm. and starts explaining, you know, in order to prepare the pretzels, and, and the cat just goes, what the hell are you talking to? I think yeah. that's very funny because it's in, in, their, in the world of the show, it's not a cooking show. Right. But then this quirky character just goes into being this, you know, macabre Martha Stewart. But... It's explained it, away as uh, being her madness. And that's the thing is like, like oh, but she's, she's just quirky. insane. And Why I is like she quirky? That. Because she's just, she's just quirky. Well, okay. I, but, but she's got to be at least funny or interesting. And she's neither one of those things. She's pretty. I'll say that Instagram model. There you go. But again, she's terrible on camera and no one figured that out. And, and thankfully only six episodes, but it just seemed if you, if you plucked her out of the show and replaced her with a funny actress, say Amy Poehler or, or Tina Fey, even somebody who's uh, who's funny, uh, this would be great. This would really be great. But, I'm not so sure about that because I wasn't but, as into the puppet characters. Well, the puppet characters need a lot of work too. The, yeah. the voices in many, in almost every case, were completely wrong for the character, and I was very, very disappointed in the handsome puppeteers for that because you, you better ought to know better by now. Um, I mean, we, we hear about, you know, these, it's not about the voice. It's about finding the character's voice. Well, these characters, there's a tiny little Egyptian cat who has a voice that sounds like this. That cat isn't big enough to have a voice that sounds like this. Just, it's all these stupid little inconsistencies. It's like, okay, I get that you guys are having fun on set. I understand that. But I'm kind of tired of that concept now. You did that for a whole movie, and now you're doing it for a TV show, and I'm just sick of it. Can you get your shit together, please, Henson? I feel like maybe the characters could have worked, even with the voices they had, if they had just had good material to work with. But the well, whole, that too. The character dynamic was just old and stale fast for me. I, yes. I've only watched the first two episodes, but I'm just not interested enough in the characters to keep watching. Because it's just like... What's, Nothing significantly changes for the no, characters. I'll just spoil that for you. But th- yeah, there's just not much here that has me, you know, looking forward to future conflicts between these guys. And so, no. and so they they. <sighs> well, there aren't conflicts. That's the thing, JD. Remember there when are, the neighbor there, when the neighbor character comes in and they almost mm-hmm. kill him, and she's like, "Oh, you almost killed him. Heh, that's fun. Well, now I'll untie him." All right, see you later, Mister Neighbor that I almost killed. Here, have a gift basket, and it, and and then he goes, then he leaves, and that's it. Yeah, it's like the, all of this is stupid. That's what. <laughs> but so much of it could have been fixed with yes, it, it could have been fixed it if could have the tone if. was driven 
the tone of the whole show was driven by a strong lead. That, I think, is what you've sort of suggested that I think yes. I, I will agree with. Yes, there are some problems with a lot of the puppet characters. Yes, there is that really serious issue of trying to find a good way to get a show to go back and forth between a narrative mode and a non-narrative mode without a sense of one just getting in the way of the other or slowing down the other. Making the brain do that shift naturally uh, for, for your audience is a very difficult thing to do anyway. I'm not sure that it can be done perfectly, but I feel like all that stuff we would be forgiving if there was that YouTuber sense of this is this person's real genuine personality coming through strong. You need to have yeah, someone who has yeah. that YouTuber kind of energy and that power and that presence and that it factor saying, hey, everybody, I really love baking and I love stuff that's creepy and gross and gooey and disgusting and macabre and weird. And boy, do I love reading the Raven and eating cookies at the same time. Like that's yeah. the, like someone who could Something. bring the passion, the energy, the drive so that the show felt like it was having a lot of fun and it didn't feel like it was just slowly trotting through the beats that it's required to hit so that it can check off having a storyline and having some recipes in it. Oy. It just, but she sure is pretty. But she has very, very pretty hair. That was very pretty hair. That's what I noticed. And that was honestly one of my sister's biggest points. She wanted to make sure I mentioned that mm -hmm. to her credit, she has very pretty hair. She does. Um, very pretty hair and very, very nice. Um, But anyways, so... Uh, Steve, come on! You didn't watch you're that being, episode. You're being as bad as as the puppets, which is that's that's the other thing ah! is that <laughs> the show could maybe work as a children's show if they'd oriented it that way and been careful with it. And it still kind of has a children's show feeling for a lot of it, but it's not a children's show because it goes too dark and too gross and too crass that's and has too much yeah. profanity and sex jokes. So it's like there's a way no, there's to. To Go do ahead. this so that it feels ironic. Like, if you were to give it yes. that feeling of spoofing a children's show. Like, spoofing Bear in the Big Blue House is always so fun. That never gets old. Anthony, does that ever get old? No, absolutely not. See? See? This is my point. Like, yeah. you can easily take a, a format like Bear in the Big Blue House, something that feels really, really innocent and warm and fuzzy and friendly... And just spoof it by making it really dark and throwing in some heads being chopped off and blood and gross stuff. Mm -hmm. And it can work and be interesting and fun. And you can do it in a way that's better than, say, the gimmicky way that the Happy Time Murders tried to do it. Where they were trying to say, it's a kid show kind of setup, but psych, it's actually really, really adult and has lots of profanity and stuff. No. No, well, that's, not, think... that's not what you do. There's a better way to do it where you actually get invested in the genre of the children's program, focus on that genre, and then ruin all of it very deliberately with stuff that's just too wacky, weird, gross, disgusting, dark, and fun. And that's um, what it's missing. That's yeah. what it's missing is, is sort of a wink to the audience. Yes. That we know what we're doing, and but this is but come along for the ride. There's no wink to the audience in in Christy McConnell or in Happy Time Murders. There isn't something there isn't anything in Christy McConnell that I look at and go, Oh, I don't like everything except this. I like this element. There's no there's no but in that at all in that equation. Um and I think it's because they 
They can't decide. Like, it's like everything you just said. They can't decide if they're taking themselves seriously or being quirky. But when you're when you're trying to be serious about it, or when you're portraying yourself as being serious yet saying these funny lines, there's no little wink to the audience that you're along for the ride. It's like you guys are actually this is this is real for you, or this is like this is what the show is going to be, and this, it it just doesn't work. Right. It doesn't look like it's trying to exist within our framework of other kinds of shows like it. Like, exactly. it's almost assuming you have no expectations about what a cooking show should be, no expectations about what a puppet show should be, no expectations about what a Halloween-y or dark or macabre show is like. Like, obviously, based on the marketing material and everything, I'm going to be coming at this expecting a tone and a feeling and a visual theme that tries to cross your Bear in the Big Blue House puppet show with a series of unfortunate events or with Beetlejuice or with something that has a distinct visual style and a strong Halloween-y color scheme and set of visual motifs and set of musical motifs and so on and so forth. I'm expecting something stylized um, with a specific style that's going to feel like it has some relation to previous Halloween styles uh, that, that is strong and that is concrete and that is certain and that knows what it wants to be. And I'm expecting it to play with what we already know and what we're familiar with. That's what's going to make something like this approachable. It doesn't have to copy what's been done before. It can completely turn around what's been done before and subvert it. But nothing exists in a vacuum. No new show, even if it is on Netflix, the home of all the new creative ideas, is going to be completely new. It has to exist within the television ecosystem. And if this film or if this show was conscious of that, then I think we could call it a show and not just a thing that's on the internet. But as it is that's now, that's all it is. It's just a thing. It's just a thing. Well, with that, I think we're about out of time. Or at least that's what that big spooky clock on the wall seems to be suggesting. Okay. All right. You know, I'm suddenly really kind of bothered by the fact that there are no windows or no doors. Yeah, I wonder how you're going to deal with that, JD. Yeah, I'm not I'm not really sure what the way out from here is. Anthony, do you do you, Anthony? Huh. Is he I there? Where he went? Oh. Hmm. Well, hey, good luck with that. Uh, yeah. Let me know how that goes. I'll talk to you again really soon. Yeah. Uh, maybe if you're still around. And uh, we'll see. I, 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 is the next thing we're doing uh, Thanksgiving? Is that coming up? Coming up next? Um, we might do something for Thanksgiving, but a Thanksgiving show would be even harder to do than a Muppet Halloween show. Oh gosh, you're right. There's just nothing un- until Henson Alternative comes out with their as yet unannounced Thanksgiving special. You mean or Turkey we Hollow? Just- or we just watch Turkey Hollow. We're not going to watch Turkey Hollow. There's no reason. Hey, I'm on a not scale from one again. to ten, how would you rate Turkey Hollow? Never mind. So uh, I don't want to go there. I don't I'm- even want to go there. <laughs> anyway, listeners, thank you for joining us once again. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, do check out this show on Netflix because, at the very least, it is interesting, and we would love to hear your feedback on that. And we would love to hear your feedback on this show. So please rate us and review us in iTunes and again you can follow the show on or you can follow the website on Twitter at Muppet Hub you can follow me on Twitter at JD11PC and um, Steve did you have anything else you wanted to add? I don't think so I think I'm all good alright in that case until next time 
I'm J.D. Hansel, and I see dead people. There you go. That'll do it. Well, that's a pretty nice, tight little show. Yeah, that was pretty tight. Yeah. Tight, dog. Pretty dope. uh... Turned up. It's lit. Right. A thing can be words that you say to someone for no contextual purpose. Just cause. A thing can be pretty. A thing can be pretty but terrible on camera. A thing can be a puppet with a completely <laughs> wrong voice for the way it looks. <laughs> I'm about halfway done right now. Can I leave all this laughing in? Because I feel like it's an important part of this moment. We'll we'll play it at the end. We'll play it at the end, yes. Okay. All right, are we ready? Yes. All right. (laughs) Okay, here we go. A thing can be pretty but terrible on camera.